0: Namo dhasa bhagavato arahato Sama sambhu dhasa Namo dhasa bhagavato arahato Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samyutta Sutta Bodham Dhammam Sangham namasa. Practicing patience with conditions, we can thank ourselves for our patience with the conditions of our lives, perhaps more so than ever in this pandemic time. This seems to be a year for us to practice a lot of patience. It is exactly when we have to be a lot more patient that we see our impatience when we are being stopped. We are stopped from all sides, not traveling, having to stay put, to be alone more, less social contact, being with our family members, whether we like it or not, forced to give up our old routines of school or work, or social activities. We have to stop in so many ways. As meditators, we know the value of stopping. But now we see the value of stopping and the value of having to stop without any say in it. We have to give in. And obey. But we much prefer to stop on our own terms. And when we're forced to stop not on our own terms, it's like a spiritual test from another dimension. And what happens? This sense of self, this identification with the self, becomes rattled. So, under these circumstances, we have a chance to see exactly how patient, peaceful, impatient, or not peaceful we are within ourselves. Even here in the monastery, we are affected by these changes. We live in sanctuary here in a beautiful sanctuary. But the fact is that even if we live in the most wonderful conditions, as soon as the chance to leave those conditions or move away from them is taken from us, then even living in a great sanctuary, one can feel imprisoned. Because the real prison is of our own making, and our mind is wherever we are. Now, people have to rearrange their lives, rethink their plans, cancel vacations. Find work or ways to fill the time. Be innovative in learning how to be alone. It's really like a superpower teaching that we could never have devised on our own. I think this COVID year, and it may be COVID years, is some supernormal teaching from another dimension, perhaps a karmic, moral one that is beseeching us as human beings to look at our predicament in this realm and to reset ourselves, readjust to truth, to what is true. And we cannot identify what is true or understand what is true without letting go a lot. Letting go much more than we really care to. But if we really care to find out the truth, to know reality, then we must care foremost to let go of so much. Now we really see the value of letting go. The more we have to let go, the more we let go. The more we come to know our true condition. And the more we come in touch with what's uncomfortable. Otherwise, we find so many means and ways to cover what is uncomfortable, to distract ourselves from what is uncomfortable, so that we don't have to experience what is uncomfortable. What is uncomfortable? The Buddha calls it suffering. And those of us who never thought we suffered, now we might know a little bit more what it's like to suffer. And these might be minor sufferings compared to the more dramatic sufferings that we always fear like death or cancer or some other terrible disease like COVID, fearing to get sick from that or fearing fear itself. And in stopping, yes, we get a taste of what it feels like to be frustrated, to be irritated, and to not have the normal avenues for alleviating that discomfort, that irritation. And easily we will resort to saying, it doesn't matter, or it doesn't bother me. But in fact, the longer this situation or these sets of conditions that bring up some irritations or some discomforts last, the longer that lasts, the less easy it is for us to say, Oh, it doesn't matter. We mistake our freedom for having the choice to do what we want, to do as we please, to have things according to what we're used to. Changes a suffering. Big change can be a big suffering. Is there anyone that you know, anyone we know, that isn't suffering, that hasn't been pushed into a difficult situation? All of us have, in one way or another, Here in the monastery, we've been very blessed for years. Blessed to have so much care and so much support. And we are still having that. But now it's different. And the difference is that we can't be with all of you. We can't have you come and visit us. we have this beautiful sanctuary and it's empty but it isn't empty it's just our perception that it's empty but none of you are the less here except for physically because our connection doesn't end when there's no visual evidence of it so What we have to investigate is what is our connection? And how deep is it? What is it made of? Where does it begin? When we start to investigate the Dhamma, when we start to know the true impermanence of all these conditions, of the conditioned realm, if we know that impermanence in a true and direct way, then we don't take any of it to be real, whether it's meeting by Zoom or meeting personally. But if we meet in the Dhamma, we really meet. Otherwise, there is no actual meeting It's when we meet through our understanding of that which is true. And if all of us deeply understand the matrix of conditioned phenomena that flow through us, through our bodies, through our minds, through the senses, everything that we think we own or experience or know is arising and ceasing moment by moment. When we stop long enough to examine that in its true nature and perceive or fathom the emptiness of that, then we understand at a different level what it means to love and what it means to to be empty, empty of things that prevent us from understanding impermanence, empty of greed, of clinging, of attaching to anything of this realm, including our self-identity. Perhaps most importantly that so we see that we are just born subsist for a while and disappear but our knowing this process our knowing of it can connect us to a truth that takes us beyond the vagaries of life in this realm beyond the insecurities, beyond the deceit of what we hang on to. To know the infinity of these connections and how even in the unconditioned, they all cease. We realize that they cease without remainder, but they are infinitely passing by. Because the unconditioned is empty. That is the one characteristic of the conditioned and the unconditioned that is similar. It's all empty. So when we can stop long enough and intently enough to notice the larger truth of impermanence, suffering and emptiness... Then we touch the unconditioned itself, which frees us from being so caught up and entangled in the processes of life and identified with them. This, this is where the mind becomes liberated. This is where the mind. No longer lingers in the state of patience or impatience because it becomes pure in and of itself and understands that purity. And so it dives back into the emptiness where there is no suffering. This is well beyond our concepts. Isn't it ironic that the very concepts that we are so able to operate in regular ordinary life with do not take us beyond, to that dimension? There is no conceptual framework for the unconditioned. It has to be understood through fathoming it fathoming and diving deeply into these ordinary conditions without any sense of clinging. It's just that penetrating discernment that takes us into another way of experiencing them and seeing them. That discernment has also in it a quality of faith. You might say it requires a certain leap, and the leap is into that which takes us beyond concept. We want our thinking to get us there. But intellect cannot do it. The heart can do it. The heart does it how? By breaking apart. By breaking down. This breakdown is not a dysfunction at all. But it's a ripening. It's an absolute stilling of all mental agitation. An absolute seclusion from the world. Can we let go to that extent? How can we allow the wanting mind to dry and shrivel up? We have been trained to rely on it, to follow it, if not to be driven by it. This is why our meditation practice is so very valuable. It's more valuable than we realize. I think perhaps for many, it's another salve, a softening agent, a cleanser. It is those, but more. It's our freedom the freedom to let things be just as they are. That doesn't mean that we allow people to take advantage of us. But it means that when we do suffer, we look for the origin of the suffering and we bring it to cessation by following the Buddha's formula of the Eightfold Noble Path which requires a lot more than just a single-pointed mind, a still and stable mind. It requires a high degree of moral purity. It requires a trust in that purity, valuing it, not doing it by rote, not following precepts just literally, but through an understanding of how harmlessness is the very foundation of the path. For when we are patient, we pick up, we take on this, we put on this dress, we bless ourselves with a harmless posture We're not going to rush out and try to get what we want or fix things to be more than what they are or less. We're just going to be patient with conditions. It's a kind of harmlessness, it's also a kind of gratitude. Gratitude in the sense of we feel the joy that comes from seeing the blessing of what we do have, what there is here for us, how we can be nourished with what we thought we couldn't, how we can bring forth blessing where we thought there was none, how our creativity And humility can free us if we have gratitude. You notice that the word gratitude seems to have a similar root to the word gratis. Gratis has in it the connotation of being free, it frees the mind from harm. freeing ourselves moment by moment by being with the moment completely just as it is. A very good place to start. The path is not in the future or the past. We can only walk it one step at a time. How much can we be present for and patient with this one step? How much can we trust that in this one step is the arising of the Four Noble Truths and our ability to comprehend them deeply? So we see the value of purifying moment by moment. Not just through our conduct and through our speech, but inwardly, examining our inward activity. What is the action in the mind? And taking full responsibility for it. Learning not to follow the world, but to follow the Dhamma. Secluding ourselves in that way. Learning not to listen to the voices of the past. Maybe a lot of unskillfulness has transpired. We may have suffered... GREATLY in the past. How much credence do we give to those old voices that impacted us from an age ago? How much can we still them? Turn the volume down and instead. Listen to the truth beating in our own heart, here and now, vibrant and clear. That sound can bring us peace. From peace, we can promote skillful conduct outwardly, but it all has its roots and stems within our own heart. If we listen carefully to the pain from which we often speak or act, then maybe We can see better how to nurse that pain. Make it whole so that we are no longer driven by it, withheld by it, a slave to it. And we can meet the present moment with our heart alight. Filled with light. The light of the Dhamma. And in this, we are deeply connected. When we meet and we see each other in the Dhamma, a brother a sister, a true relative. What joy. It's the sort of joy that perhaps we get when we look out the window and we see a bear walking past, feeling unafraid here in our little sanctuary. It's their sanctuary. We're the guests. We feel the joy of connecting with all this bounty. The deer come and feed near the buildings we live in. They feel safe. To create sanctuary, we must find safety. And the real safety we can find is by trusting in truth and taking our rightful place on the throne of our own hearts, knowing of that truth. Nothing less. We, as human beings, have that special ability to deeply see and know this truth of the way things are and all their mystery. Putting aside the world, purifying the heart, and growing wise. That wisdom must also be the consummation of compassion. We develop these qualities so that we can bring forth for all beings an energy of benevolence and compassion. This is our gift, not just for ourselves, but for the greater good. I think that's it. Enough for tonight.